got that one on the first try. Alright, my friends, it is Friday. Friday, the 16th of October, 2020. You're listening to the Dr. Drill Podcast, Making Motivation. I get my first sip of morning coffee. French roast. A little bit of honey in there. It's a, an overcast day, I guess, tomorrow. The rest of the weekend supposed to be really nice, though, so I'll take that. <clears throat> Heading down to the office for a morning full of patience. Um, after which, I got to head home, put my dad in the truck, and head on up the Northeast Extension once again at a high but guarded rate of speed so as not to uh, get incarcerated, incarcerated. Going to have him, my goal is to have him back at his house at 7 p.m. by by dusk eventually, so hopefully weather takes a turn for the better. We've got a decent afternoon commute. Take that home. So I have a, <clears throat> rather than just a daily log, <clears throat> excuse me, um, or my little stream of consciousness, I have a topic guided by this new book that I'm reading. It's called The Immortality Key. So this guy is like a linguist and Greek and Sanskrit and these different languages, and so he is uh, searching for this lost religion. It's like the the first religion, the precursor to uh, Christianity and Judaism and all that. And he believes that religion uh, in its infancy was the beginning. It's the spark of religion was. Um, facilitated and oftentimes um, celebrated, commemorated with psychedelics. So the question is, as I mentioned the, the phrase before, the, sta- the stoned earth, stoned ape theory. So is it possible that uh, you know, these plants, of course, they existed long ago, maybe more plants we're not even aware of, but things like magic mushrooms and <clears throat> other plants that have psychedelic properties that our, our ancestors might have been tripping out as they were evolving. And maybe say they grabbed hold of some plants or herbs or whatever mushrooms and incorporated them into their diet and into their culture. And you imagine them sitting around a campfire under the influence of a psychedelic brew, a concoction, if you will. Remember, plants were the first medicine, right? So they were more aware with the various properties of these things that they would find growing. And so maybe they had a concoction, a ceremonial concoction or something they would drink nightly or whatever. 
sitting around a campfire pondering whatever, the limits of their world, uh, the goals of their civilization, their, uh, their challenges that they're having. And that this, and that the, the psychedelics enabled them to increase their neuronal capacity. As, as we're finding now, and they've done MRIs, functional MRIs, where you can see the brain material light up in certain conditions, let's say anxiety and depression. It looks like all of the little areas of the brain that should function should be lighting up, quote-unquote, when um, you're using them, that in those conditions, there all the lights are out. And then if you administer a psychedelic... like a magic mushroom or something like that, a purified form of that sort of thing. Ayahuasca, you name it. Peyote. When you administer that, it lights up the the hemispheres of the brain and it makes all these connections and there's activity there. And so maybe that activity could uh, correspond with some kind of daydreaming or um, some sort of trippy experience that would allow us to imagine things that were not normally apparent to our five senses. The stoned ape theory. So this guy, I'm just starting into the book. I'm um, just through the uh, the introduction, which is by Graham Hancock. Well, they're talking about these things, how the world started, and um, this lost religion. And had we arrived to the point that we are today. So it's very interesting. So the topic of my podcast after that, laying that groundwork, is that um, it doesn't end well. We don't end well. So in the introduction of the book, Graham Hancock talks about the reality that we don't deal with death very well. Humans. We There's something about the experience. I mean, there are courses on death and dying, but it's a lot of it has to do with the ego, the I, like I am, I exist, I, I, I'm in command of everything, like our, our tendency to latch on to our character, our physical body, and the embodiment of our physical, in our personality and all that stuff, and we we honor these things so much and we live in them and work in them in the day-to-day to such a degree that it's very challenging to let go. So we make up these uh, stories, common myth about, well, when we die, we go to heaven and uh, God is up there and he's in, the, he's in the sky and he lives on a cloud and there are gates to get in and uh, he'll have various... They'll have a hostess or a host up there to greet you at the gates. And, you know, if you're good, then you'll get in and all your sins will be forgiven and you'll never have a day, bad day again in your life. And you'll be reunited with all of your fallen comrades. Which is a very nice story, a very nice notion. And it's entirely possible that that is what occurs. I don't think so, but... A lot of our fear on life, on, on the world, in living, in the course of it, 
is colored by our dramatic fear of death. Okay? So, we simply don't want to die. We don't want to suffer, but we don't want to die. And so anything that can give us, bring us and our family some kind of peace as we meet our end, hopefully it's a timely end, we're, we're scared to death of. You know, as I've shared with you over the past several podcasts this week, it's hell getting old. You know, my parents are in their 70s, and I know people who are that old and, and decades older, and they're still functioning. I have a guy that goes out and does boot camp reunions and walks along the trail at 80-something years old, 83, with hiking poles that he bought from REI or something, you know? I have a woman who's probably 85 and she looks like she's 60. And she's exuberant and she's artistic and she's a mother of seven and I can only imagine all the things that she's seen. I know that she's a Christian. I know that she's a believer in that. And she's also got a lot of school of hard knocks under her belt. But that notion, that the reality that it doesn't end well. We don't end well. <clears throat> so we build these industries, and they're better than they've ever been, where we've got the, um, you've got the independent living, and then the assisted living, and then the personal care, and all the way down to see you later, you know? priest will give you your last rites or whatever floats your boat, you know, all the way to the funeral home, we're managing it I mean, listen, I remember when I was a little boy, I've told stories about how I went to visit my nanny, which is my great-grandmother and she was in some nursing home in North Jersey somewhere and it was this big winding staircase and it smelled like piss it was fucking terrible, it was always that obligatory old lady or man that think that you're their grandkid or their son and they want to come up hey, what's that you it's fucking creepy man, something out of a horror movie so I had somebody in last night, over the last uh, couple of weeks I've been taking care of this woman and her family she's a, a mother of many children okay, almost I mean, seven children, that's a lot a lot of mothering a lot of work, a lot of caring for other people, and now she's in her 70s, and she just wants to drink, sit on the back porch and drink and smoke, and I look, and there's that fingernail that's colored, you know, she, she looks like she, like she was and is a very beautiful woman, I mean, she's just a really beautiful woman. And I put on Fleetwood Mac, and she kind of like the first visit. She was like, "Uh, I don't know about this. You know, I've never done this before. I'm fine. I'm all my my family. They they think that I'm, um, you know, they are all worried about me and trying to tell me what to do and all this stuff." So her family, her. Family's concerned. So they bring her to me to try to address this 
physical um, issue that she's making actually some pretty decent progress on with the work that I'm doing that I'm doing with her and also her compliance to the exercises that we that I've given her and she's making a little bit of progress in a week you tell she's kind of like eh, she could take the experience or leave it now yesterday I put on Fleetwood Mac and she came alive so um, she reminds me of Stevie Nicks a little bit like I, she looks like she's blonde I can imagine her being very attractive and and being very spirited and being like a Stevie Nicks, the flowing robe that tassels and long hair and throaty voice. She was definitely moved by by the music, and so I thought that that was interesting too. Um, but she's clearly on the downward slope. We are all once we get. In, you know, progressively over the next three decades, hopefully, I'll be able to proceed along. I'm 45, 55, 65, 75. You know, my dad's got me by 30 years. In 30 years, I stoke, I hope to be still lucid and active. And he is both of those things. And so many other people I know meet horrible, untimely ends. And they, they suffer a lot in between. Or they have some major morbidity that is really stepping on them having any kind of quality of life. But they're certainly scared. It's scary for the family, you know. Me, the kids that are trying to sort out, hey, what are you going to do, Dad, Mom? You know, what What do you think, uh, what do you think about this? Can I, you know, you want to live with me? You want to live at home? What do you guys got in terms of? Uh, logistics, you got any, uh, how's your finances, how, or all these things, so, pissing down rain now, so I just thought it was an interesting concept, this woman that I, that I am working with, she had like a tremendous visit yesterday, unless she was pulling the wool over my eyes, I, interacted with her extensively and we talked and we sang we played Fleetwood Mac and we talked about her kids and I explained that my dad's visited me and your kids are just trying to help you and I know that you know having taken care of them for so long it's a bummer that, that now they have to do it for you it's uncomfortable it's you might take offense you might hate them sometimes because they're trying to do whatever but apparently she's just smoking and drinking and and sitting. And so she knows why she's feeling that part of why she's feeling the way she she currently is has a lot to do with her lifestyle. And you can see that her spark is kind of flickering in there. It's it's there, but it's it's struggling to stay lit. And we need to try to get around and give her some shelter and, and give her some fuel to put on that spark so that we can build a fire. We can make her life as comfortable as possible and keep her around as long as we possibly can, right? What are these creeps doing? 
because humans don't end well, you know, but it's one of those things, as far as the fear of death is concerned, listen, I don't want to die, I don't want to die anytime soon, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to see all this, like, you look at some folks get a little bit older, and they, they're starting to, it, just a progressive law, like, they wind up in the hospital, then they wind up in a rehab, and then they can't fend for himself, and everybody's thinking about, um, you know, getting the proper care and resources and money and you know oh, still comes down to money at the, the end of the, the end of the day right do we have the resources to move mom into one of these nice places where they'll have a new lease on life and they can they can go out and uh, you know, or stay in or whatever walk to the cafeteria make some friends all that stuff the places truly are amazing in all the amenities that they have, these assisted livings in this. It's an industry, you know, that, that as busy as, uh, like, my generation is right now, there needs to be something like this. If people have the ability to go into such a place, get a little, you know, help, be around people who, are, who have the same problems as you, nice, safe place. I mean, it's, um, I think th- these industries are, are better than they've ever been. But there's still this fear of death, and religion is obviously one of the things that assuages it, that 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 softens the blow. The notion that if you're a real true believer and you take it literally, that all your problems are going to be over soon. And I guess, in a sense, that's true whether you go into the ground or not. I had somebody give me an analogy the other day about how, you know, if you believe, if you don't believe, then you're you're not going to can't go to heaven, but it's going to be okay. If you do believe and you die, then, well, maybe you can go to heaven. That's the, basically saying, like, you can't, um, by being a believer, having a relationship with your religion, if you believe something that some might consider a fairy tale, there's no harm in it if it, in the end, you might be skeptical, but adhering to your religion, and maybe that's what happens. Maybe in some way the story that we create is the one that that uh, will ensue. Like our mind is so incredible. Even if, if even in our mind, it gives us a steers us in some way down a particular path. When we die for the afterlife, or maybe not, anyway, I've got all this stuff on my mind, because, uh, my dad's, he'd been living with us, and I had a little touch base extensively with my mother last night, and she's paranoid, she thinks we're trying to take him away from her, and, but, you know, talking all kinds of trash on the man, and, you know, all the things that she's, the standard status quo, she was regarding him, and complaining about him, and nobody... None, nobody loves me, and nobody, uh, everybody's biased against me, and the family, you know, it's, it's complex, right? It's very complex. Human beings are, and that's the ego most times, right? Not to say that I don't have my own ego. Not to say that I don't latch on to, desperately, to the, to what I can control in this world, because I do. You know, I've got 
Aaron Obers, Dr. O, Dr. Drill. You know, got all these hats that I wear, all these faces that I show to people. And I try to be, in my mind, I try to be completely genuine. I, I feel like I'm unfiltered Aaron, like in any of the settings that I'm in. Sure, I changed my face a little bit, but there's always a twinkle in my eye that is that uh, baseline Aaron Oberst, which is I'm a crazy motherfucker. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to try to make you laugh. I'm going to try. I'm a good person. Try to help you if I can. But then with, with the various hats that I wear, faces, masks that I put on, just the way it is. Everybody's got that. Some more than others. They put on that mask and it's like, oh, God, this is the way life is. This is who I am. This is, I can't let go of who I am. All that shit. So there's a lot of fear, a lot of ego involved in getting old, and and human beings do not end well. What is it about that? How interesting that is. And such a current event in my life. And I hope my parents live forever. But let me tell you, are some trying times we're in right now. And we'll see what materializes as the day progresses. Around 7 o'clock tonight, I'll be pulling up into the mountains, hoisting a friggin' recliner out of my back, back of my ram here, and turn around and coming right back home.